This is the Do Better Podcast with Dr. Megan Miller and Joe Smith, launching you into the future of behavior analysis. podcast. In today's episode, we are collabing with Shades of ABA host Adrian Bradley and Tiana Moore for part two of our discussion on cancel culture. This is where we blast off to the final frontier in search of improving ourselves in the field of behavior analysis. Thank you for spending time with us. Now, let's begin. So how is everyone doing on this beautiful Sunday? Freezing here in Michigan. It's a good <laughs> 13 degrees outside, so Ooh, that's we're, cold. Deprived. we're cold. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I haven't looked to see the temperature here, but it's like, I think it's supposed to be in the 70s or 80s. Where are you? Uh, Florida, St. Petersburg. Oh. However, I am going to the Panhandle next weekend because Taylor has a winter break and um, my like bubble... <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you said 70 degrees and they're like yeah winter break <laughs> hey you know um but my little bubble um my friend samantha who's like one of my best friends from grad school her daughter is about the same age as taylor so we're meeting them in panama city we've done that one other time and he keeps begging to go back and his birthday's coming up so it was like well this will be like a special birthday treat i keep looking at the forecast it's supposed to be like 40 when we're there i'm like what is this that's a drop <laughs> yeah that's a huge drop. so but then i'm like well maybe it'll just be cold and then it'll rain but it'll turn into snow and he'll just have like the best birthday ever <laughs> never snows here but it has snowed in the panhandle the last time it snowed in tampa was like in the 70s or something but it has snowed in the panhandle like every few years it'll be not even enough to like stick but it's still you know it's snow. still pretty to see yeah how are you, Joe? I, I'm cold, but I'm all right. It's like 43 here in Virginia Beach. Um, and when it's this cold, I kind of wish that there's snow, but we end up getting rain. Yeah. Oh, I hate that's yeah. the worst, that cold rain where it's like just. Yeah. It's like, it, it's just like, it, it should just snow. Like, yeah, just snow <laughs> for us. Like, instead of rain would be much better. But uh, it's all right. It's it's all right. I, it gives me a chance to like spend the day and do all the things that I need to do inside. Then go out and like you know do fun th things outside, like hiking or go fishing or um, any other things I would do outside. So it yeah. forces me to focus on the things in inside the house, which I like. There you go. 
Um, so kind of random, but we, we recorded an episode yesterday too. So I'm just going to throw this out there. Um, I can't remember. I feel like Tiana, the last time we met, you weren't that into football, but I'm going to make you pick anyway. <laughs> so we took a little poll yesterday. Who's going to win the Super Bowl tonight? Is it going to be Tampa Bay or the other team? you want to know you want to know when i found out that the super bowl was today just now this morning (laughs) about an hour before we started (laughs) well i would i'm rooting for the chiefs because you know we root for any black quarterback so there you go that's good yeah we just root for everybody black especially (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's where I'm at (laughs) well I you know live here so I kind of have to root for Tampa Bay I feel like I really I want to see a good game and um and that would be nice I'm really hoping the Super Bowl show is amazing because I like the weekend and they put a lot of money into it so that's they put a lot of money into it to not have a lot of fans. And one of the things that I thought would have been just like a really nice gesture is that if they offered like nurses and doctors and the people that have been working through this COVID oh. pandemic, like yeah. they haven't talked about that there. They they have. There's like seven thousand. Oh, okay. I have yeah. that. Yeah. I, see, we have like because it's here. That's like all anybody's talking about. So there's like seven thousand healthcare workers that are coming for free. the The stipulation was they had to be vaccinated um, to come. And then there's also the weekend did a um, a thing where he he like connected with a black owned business here, a restaurant, and bought. Um, like lunch or dinner or something for the healthcare workers at a at a local hospital. There's a lot of like local efforts going into supporting the healthcare workers in the local community. Um, I'm also super nervous though because there's a crap ton of people here right now, and like the <laughs> bars and restaurants are packed to the brim. I haven't been out, but I've seen like with my I'm at my parents and the news coverage of it and everything, and it's like I heard there were Florida bars where like man, some were mandated to close. Like you can't be open to like control that. Yeah. I haven't seen that, but you know, yeah. Maybe. Would you surprise me because Florida's kind of just been a free for all this entire time. Yeah, it has. So we'll see. It'll be interesting to see um, how, what, what happens with the COVID numbers with all of this. But other fun fact, because all I do is watch the news and look up fun facts. <laughs> um, Joe, I heard you're in Virginia, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I saw um, that Virginia is taking racial data when it comes to who's getting the vaccine and that it's mandatory to report. I really like that. I do too. Like that's something that's really awesome that they're doing and tracking and just so then there's a proportionate amount of vaccines being given out too, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that was really cool. I was like, ooh, let me send this to my job because we haven't been like collecting who's getting vaccinated because no one's been mandating for us to report it. But I imagine if Virginia is going to do that, then a lot of the other states are probably going to follow suit. Yeah. I can only imagine like that's just going to uh, trickle down to other states and they're going to start collecting that data as well. So it's awesome. Yeah. Sometimes Virginia does good things. 
<laughs> Sometimes. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah. <laughs> All right. So it sounds like Adrian and Joe, I know you didn't say it, but I know from yesterday, Kansas City, Tiana maybe doesn't care. You're, you're going to go Kansas City too, based on Adrian and, and Joe. <laughs> sure. So I'm going to go with definitely uh, Kansas City. So sorry, Megan. Wow, I can't wow. hop on. I, I can't <laughs> hop. I can't hop on that uh, Tampa Bay train. Sorry. I know. Uh, and there's like there's every time I talk to you, to people about it, there's like new reasons for why I should actually root for uh, Kansas City. But I just feel like I gotta support the local community. <laughs> you do. You're you're in that area. Your football team should be Tampa Bay. To be honest. No, it's the Browns. But I know. I know that will never change. Which I, I love. know what city that's that is. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's go ahead and chat about cancel culture. As I mentioned, we had all sorts of good things that we were going to talk about, and I don't remember what they are. Um, so I'm just going to open the floor and see first if um, anyone has a particular aspect of cancel culture. Adrian, I think you mentioned there was something you listened to on Clubhouse yesterday. I don't know if you want to start with that or. Yeah, yeah. So I was in the Republicans and Conservatives Clubhouse chat yesterday because they had a title of cancel culture and what that looks like from corporate America. Um, and I feel like cancel culture started to become a thing, a very a more of an apparent thing, more of a trickle-down effect. Um back in 2016 when Donald Trump was president. Um, and then you kind of saw all of these corporate companies taking a stance against these social issues. And what they were saying was in one breath, you have consumers that just want to be able to go to Starbucks and get a coffee without having to see any political anything, right? Because that's what it used to be back in the early 200s. You go to Starbucks for coffee and you only talked about coffee things and things that surrounded around coffee. Um, but in another breath, you have these companies that are making money off of consumers and consumers are people and people have opinions and people have opinions about where they are spending their dollar as well. And so when it comes to getting involved in some of these social issues, they were discussing, is it really a a, a business's place but ultimately when you're in the business of people it is your place you know any business that is in the business of consumers which is every business you it's your place because your consumers spend money you know supporting businesses now rather than oh I just like your product and I only like your item but I also support you because you're a black business or I also support you because you're a small business or I support you because you give x amount of dollars to the black cause um, and things like that so um, there's a few different things that recently have come to my attention on you know which companies support black issues the most and which companies don't support black issues the most because clearly that is very um, important to myself as well. So it was it was just interesting, but it was nice that they could have a conversation about it 
without screaming at each other and without um, like being like F you and you know I support Save America. <laughs> um, what, it was, it, that was nice to see. Were they so were they overall saying that like people should just buy products because of the product and not the social issues? Um, it depended on where you aligned politically. Um, Republicans and conservatives were saying like, yeah, I should be able to just go get a product because that's what that company is made for, like Microsoft. I'm only going because I want a computer or iPad. I don't want to go because I want to hear about how, you know, black people are, you know, disproportionately hired within the STEM area, you know? Um, but then those people who were a little bit more liberal or moderate or more aligned with the democratic side, um, they were saying, no, like companies have to give their stance on social issues that affect their consumers. And at the end of the day, these companies have done a lot of data analytics. And so they let the data kind of decide which way do we align because which way is our consumer base leaning towards and that way we're not like losing billions of dollars. Because what people fail to realize is that Black individuals hold like a billion dollar, like we're a billion dollar industry. That's that brings up a question for me. But one thing I wanted to point out with the conservative piece, it's interesting when I lived in Panama City, <clears throat> which is in the panhandle of Florida, very conservative area. Um, they would like pass out books that listed all of the Christian owned businesses and you would drive around and, and there the fish is on like the auto dealer to show that they're a Christian owned business. So clearly it's not completely about the social issues when they're, they're encouraging themselves to go to certain businesses. And, and I even would have like people ask that, you know, like, oh, well, if I needed a needed something when I had just moved to the area. It's like, oh, well, you should go to so-and-so because he's a good Christian. He's a good Christian man. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I just need my car fixed. I'm not sure what him being Christian or any other religion has to do with that, you know? Um, so that, I, that just brings up a thought. I mean, I would have loved to have been in that room and like asked about that because I think it depends on what the topic is that, um, that they kind of would think say that about. I think it depends on people's overall comfortability as to which identity or label people are going to really pay attention to in with doing their analysis of who they're servicing and who they're working with. When it comes to race is a sensitive topic, you know? Um, so people are, I feel that people are going to definitely go on the, I just want to know what product it is. Does this product work and call it a day and not really consider all of the other aspects of the business just for comfort sake that's just yeah adrian the other thing you said that i thought about was um how they like have data analytics so i'm curious the thoughts on that like one would hope a business has their own values and they're creating their they're making their decisions and what social justice issues to support or not to support or whatever other um, where they're going to put their extra money and volunteer hours and all that kind of stuff based just around like, I am a human and these are the things we value. And this is our company culture. Um, not on like, Oh, well, if we do it this way, uh, we'll make a billion dollars more. Um, so is there any thoughts anyone that has that's list, like 
here and then also on Facebook Live about that. Like, would you rather a company be choosing based on just their own culture and values, how they're doing things, even if that ends up meaning they're not supporting um, black owned businesses or something like that? Or would you rather the more like, uh, it seems almost performative, right? Like we can make more money this way. So we'll support um, black owned businesses or this other social justice issue. We don't actually believe in it, but hey, we're going to make some money. Other companies or individuals support and do things based on who their true selves are. Um, if you're just going to do something for show and for an, an, an extra coin, like there, it kind of defeats the purpose if you don't really have the backbone and you're really not standing behind and don't believe in any of the additional causes that you are supporting. That's my viewpoint on it. I also think that's what cancel culture is saying from a corporate perspective is that we know these corporations like didn't feel this way five years ago. Okay, before Colin Kaepernick, zero indication on supporting Black Lives Matter or, you know, supporting um, Muslim issues or Latinx issues. Like you didn't see that. So we know what these these corporate leaders actually think because it was not important to them. We can bring that back to the ABA world. Like up until June 2020, no one was talking about DEI efforts. Not that it wasn't important to them. I hear that in in some people, but it wasn't on your frontal because it wasn't something that was directly happening to you, right? It was happening, you know, to people difference or three people difference or, you know, whatever, or even one, because that's really what it was. But um I think in one breath, cancel culture doesn't allow corporations to do the things that they view as moral and valuable and things like that, because now people are on their asses if they don't. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Joe, do you have any thoughts about it? I mean, like, I I also taken a part of like, what can people afford as well too? Because not everyone's going to be able to afford um, buying from the best company that has the best values either. So that's something to take in consideration of too. Is like not everyone ha- has the luxury of just supporting companies that have the good ethics, the uh, where their values align, um, like, and yeah. that's unfortunate. Like, can you give an example of a company that you would like to support but can't afford to support? I can't, to be honest. <laughs> but, I, but I'm just saying, like, there could be a company out there that, you, like Nike, like Nike is a very um, expensive company. Yeah. And they don't have the best values either. So yeah, they don't have the best values either. But yeah. But also, but yeah. you can buy socks from Nike. Yeah. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Nike or Adidas before or no, actually, well, I'm actually gonna go to Nike or Under Armour because they actually have really good points for black issues. Um, and I'll share that Instagram with you guys that like shows which companies. But I'm probably I'm more likely to go to them before I go to Adidas to buy some socks. So yeah. we go to we okay. go to PC, question, you know, and get the so this goes kind of, <laughs> Go ahead. This goes back to Megan's question though, because you're you you're stating that they have good black point or black points for like black issues. Is it because it allows them to get 
increase their revenue or because they really like that Nike, I would guess revenue. <laughs> That's my <laughs> sweatshops and everything. I don't, I don't know if we're ever gonna know that. Yeah. <laughs> like, are we ever gonna truly know that from a company perspective? Unless they have like you could have a white person in that leadership position and we could say, like, oh yeah, like they support, but are you ever really gonna know? Are you ever really gonna know if yeah. trust it, right? If it's not a person who identifies from a marginalized group. Yeah. Um, Rose is saying, and this was the example I was going to give. Um, she said, do you mean like maybe buying from Walmart because it's cheap, but has bad values? That was one that came to mind for me. Like a lot of people shop at Walmart, but technically a lot of it, the ways that they operate is not helpful. I mean, I haven't shopped at Walmart in years. Oh, I haven't either. Yeah. But some people can't, yeah. you know, yeah. like they're, they're like, so I don't know. I, I don't I think it's an excuse. I'm I'm sorry, Joe, but I, I think it's an excuse to say, oh, I want to support that company because that, that's what aligns with my values, but I can't afford that company because there are things within that company that you could afford if it was on your frontal. You know, we talk about supporting Black-owned businesses, and it's a huge push in February, but why is it that we don't think to go to a Black-owned business for our toothbrush? And we could tie in relational frame theory into this, right? What companies have been amplified and been conditioned for us to just like, oh, we're going to support this because it's convenient. That's conveniency. That's not a mandatory thing. It's it's conveniency. And is it on your frontal? Yes or no? Nine times out of 10, you're just like, oh, let me run to Target, right? Target is a great company to support for, for Black-owned issues, number one. Mm-hmm. They got the toothbrushes, they got the shampoo, they got the food, they got expensive things. Yes, is Target more expensive than Walmart? Mm -hmm. Yes, but I also know I would rather spend two more dollars supporting a company that supports the issues that happen to me than supporting a company that pays their employees like 10 bucks an hour, but is getting paid trillions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. I agree with that. It is. (laughs) Deanna, did you have something to add? I felt like you had another question and I cut oh, I don't even know because Adrian just kind of read us real quick. So <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> and moving on. No, but that though. Like, like what do you guys think? Like Megan and Tiana. Oh, it, it, it may no, I I agree. Um there is definitely a lot of convenience in our day-to-day living like in our in our shopping and our in everything that we do so we do things out of convenience it is not so I agree with you basically in Mm -hmm. everything that you stated um and whether it is financial convenience displacement all of those things so I yeah I agree um I got you um I don't you just read read it all so (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe adrian you can you can help me with my i know this is one that a lot of people have committed to and are doing really well with but i will admit i'm horrible about when we're talking about convenience amazon i just you know especially during covid like it's just been we have a distribution center literally next to our house so i can order something and have it in like an hour if i want (laughs) 
I was just talking to Marlisha, Dr. Mar- Dr. Marlisha Bell. Let me make sure. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Marlisha Bell. Um, about this, you know, she was looking for a web developer, right? And she was like, I really want a black web developer. I want to support that, right? And I'm looking for a black web developer, you know? So we're getting on Google, we're getting on Clubhouse, honest to God, typed in web developer on Clubhouse, (laughs) came up, right? That we're black individuals because that's on our frontal. But we have, you know, Megan, Do Better Collective, Right? Were you thinking about utilizing someone to develop this website that came from a marginalized group? Or were you like, I just want the best web developer to build my website? Well, I've had my web developer since like 2010, and that was hard to even do because I just wanted to do it all myself. So I didn't, it didn't cross my mind. I was using him, but I, I did think about. Um, probably not as much as I should have, but I did think about, you know, how we were going to make sure we're incorporating different perspectives and have different things going on in there. Yeah. And I, and I mean, it also comes down to where we're spending our money and that's what fuels cancel culture, right? Is the money. It, like people can have their opinions that they hate Papa John's, right? Does everybody remember <laughs> that Papa John's incident? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, yep. but cancel culture to me doesn't really apply to white men. Like, and we can unpack that because it happens in our field daily, weekly, all the time. All the time. White men, you can take a pause, but you never get canceled. The Papa John CEO, right? He stepped down, but he, he was already a billionaire. He still had say in the company. You see him back on these um, commercials. Like he chilled out for like a year, year and a half. And then was like, oh, I'm sorry for saying the N word. Like, and you know he was saying it a lot more than just on that one corporate call, corporate meeting. Like, come on now. They never, white men never really get canceled. Cancel culture is, doesn't apply to white men. It's a pause. You don't actually ever get canceled. And we have an equivalent, at least one equivalent of that in our field. Right. Dick Malat. Yep. It took what? a year, two years, maybe for him to start posting again and like being present places. Right. Dick Malat never gets canceled. Few other YouTubers never get canceled, but constantly do shit. Like say shit. Say shit and don't feel bad about it to another black woman. But you know, that's just a personal issue, but. And then when you call it out or try to make some kind of commentary I'm about it. Lighter. What? You know what? I'm a gaslighter. Oh. I call your black woman a gaslighter and say, I don't trust you professionally because I wanted to have a conversation. Yeah. Well, and that's there, there's a few um situations like that recently too, where I've seen or heard uh and, and Joe, you're like here yeah. and I'm not going to apologize because we talked about that last time, yeah. but you just get to listen. Um yeah. so the that there've been some situations where there's like some white men and I just I don't know how it gets processed this way, but not only are they talking about gaslighting, but also how they're being bullied by marginalized folks. And I just can't compute. I don't understand to have that level of privilege. That that's where your brain goes instead of like, what, what am I doing? What I need to look inside myself and change how I'm engaging with people. Humility. Humility. 
reality. Yeah, that's it doesn't exist. Awesome. Like it doesn't exist. Some self-reflection. Like, yeah. Ref- what does Nasia say? She says reflexive practice. <laughs> Perfect example. Look into of yourself. Look into yourself. But then also, this goes back to um, the thing I said about Vince, Megan, that Vince is really the only white guy that you see in these DEI meetings and these DEI webinars, you know? Joe, you you said in something else on the earlier, like, oh yeah, I haven't been able to get on Clubhouse to do that because I'm just so bogged down with work, you know, mm-hmm. and doing the day-to-day stuff, right? Well, mm-hmm. honey, so are we. Yeah. <laughs> we, got, we need you there. You know, two, three other jobs, <laughs> and we're listening to Clubhouse conversations at 1 a.m. in the morning. You know, Megan's pinging me at seven, whether it's a dance party, I'm in there. She says that it's a good conversation. <laughs> You know, and yet again, it's kind of an excuse and it's convenient for you to say that, you know, but sitting here drinking your coffee or riding 15 minutes to work to put on, you know, a webinar or a recording or podcast or anything like that, we make time for what we want to make time for, like, period, you know, so that's why we're like why these white men are not in these forums and why these white men cannot practice humility. Sorry. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to apologize actually, Joe. <laughs> no, 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 you're fine. But like, I, I am like in, in my car going from client to client, re, like uh, listening to podcasts and trying to like, but my focus is a little bit different because I'm worried of like, I'm trying to focus on, where I need to be as a practitioner and where I need to be with like supervision. And that's like my focus during that time. But, but I know these bots can help with that. <laughs> yeah. Get it, Tiana. Yeah. I was just going to go like, these are areas in which you, you still need to be aware of and have, have your skills, um strengthened because it does go into you being a practitioner it does go into you providing supervision like I like my supervisor when I was going through my hours was a white male I never felt comfort kind of dealing with him because everything was I had a client the very the, the parent very very strong educated black woman there were times where he was very, my supervisor was very passive because he didn't want to deal with that strong black womanness of a parent who's also trying to advocate for her child. And I'm overwhelmed because I'm like, I'm just, I'm just a tech. I don't know what am I supposed to be doing here? And those are instances that had he had some cultural competency, some cultural humility, just some awareness, I could have felt stronger and more supported in dealing with her and dealing with the case and dealing with like just conceptualizing and my overall training. So to say that you're trying to just focus on or and you being a practitioner and supervision, like those are pieces that are key. So that's to Joe, to everyone, like those, yeah. you still need to know these things. Yeah. Rose, uh, Rose yeah. commented on, on uh, Facebook live. We have a lot of great comments on Facebook live. So um, in the show notes, when we publish this, I'll make sure to link the video because I can't read through them all. We're just having such great conversation, but there's like different links being shared of black owned um, bookstores and things like that. Um, but Rose mentioned to Joe, just as an FYI, yeah. there's an inner, there's 
Adrian is not doing this, but there's an intersection in clubhouse for like ABA um, where you do have some rooms sometimes are talk it's like behavior analysts and also addressing like DEI issues. Um, so you could kind of get both at once as that, well. That's awesome. Then I'll have to check that out. Definitely. Adrian made a commitment to only use it for non-ABA stuff so far. So <laughs> that's the only way I was able to get around there. <laughs> You got to have some boundaries here. Um, but this conversation kind of leads into one of the other things I wanted to talk about. So um, we were talking about that humility and that self-reflection. What I've been seeing happen for white males especially, but white people in general, is um, <laughs> their reflections just support their, their view, right? So in... Um, in the webinar I did last week on being a compassionate and curious behavior analyst, I talked a little bit about naive realism and I had just heard about it on a podcast that morning, but I was like, Oh, I have to incorporate this. It's so interesting. What does that mean? So it's, it's a, it's the idea that we, we view our own realities as objective and factual and accurate and truthful. And those that disagree with us, if they, when they disagree, they are being irrational. It's not, it's not like, that's how we end up perceiving things. So it's not that like, we could possibly just have different perspectives. It's that clearly I am right. And you are wrong if you don't agree with me. Right. So it's this phenomenon that happens now, obviously people have to work against that. Like, it's not saying, saying that like everyone does it, but as like a general, if you're not working to recognize that that's a thing that happens that like your reality is your own reality and like it's truthful to you but that doesn't mean it's truthful to everyone else um then that can create more like conflicts with people um so what i think like i see happening quite a bit especially on like social media and when threads are happening around like racism or other social justice issues you'll have folks commenting that are coming from their own reality, right? And, and especially for, from like the white perspective. And they're like, I don't, I don't see why we have to talk about this. You know, like, why are, why are we as behavior analysts talking about racism or whatever? And, um, and the threads can go in a bunch of different directions. So one of the things I thought would be interesting to talk about, especially from a cancel culture perspective is like, what do we do with that, right? So there's there's risks of harm if you try to allow the conversation to happen to harming the marginalized groups. If you don't connect in a level where the person is go, coming from in their own reality, you risk not helping that person shift at all and just continue to be racist. Um, is it not even an appropriate conversation or thing to try to do on a Facebook page or on social media? And it's more of like a conversation like this that needs to happen. So I was just curious um, what you all think about that. And I know like it's even coming up on clubhouse now too, where it's like when I first joined a month ago, there are all of these um, rooms going on where black folks were sharing their experiences. And it was just, that was it. 
And then about two weeks or so ago, I guess white people started getting in there saying racist stuff and, and not, not like not getting in there and saying like blatantly racist stuff, but getting in there and sharing their perspective. And when they were called out on it, they were um, reactionary or the moderators didn't say anything at all. And then the folks in the room were like, this is harming us. Um, so it seems to happen no matter the space. Um, but it's like, how do you deal with that? Like, do you just cancel it, shut it down? Um, to protect everyone that needs that that um, is in there that might be part of whatever marginalized group is potentially being harmed, or do you try to work with that person and help them see a different reality? Um, so, just curious, what do you all think? I think this is the part of cancel culture that I don't like. Right. So I don't like that cancel culture has stopped encouraging conversation. And this is what I think Antonio Harrison, Dr. Antonio Harrison gets at too in his perspective of that, you know, you should be able to hear someone out, even if they disagree with you. And I like in a, in one of the most recent conversations, recent conversation I tried to have, I wanted to see their perspective and they refused to have a dialogue with me. Um, and I came at them very nicely, very kindly, very humbled when I didn't have to. Um, and it's, it, it stops that conversation from even happening. You know, um, during the election, I watched both Fox News and, and CNN, right? Because somewhere in the middle is the truth, right? <laughs> um, and I wanted to see like, man, like what, if, like really, like what do they think and how, how are they viewing some of the things that are happening in the world? And do you know that they have a million dollar business that helps clean up any poor reputation? that you may have on social media or that you may be may have engaged in. Um, and they just try to sweep it under the rug and then, and then just hide it in the internet so that people can, when they Google you, they don't see like, oh yeah, the Papa John CEO said the N word in a meeting. Like that needs to just go away. And even that quote unquote solution from the conservative side stops a conversation. And if you can't have a conversation, you can't even hear the, the perspective. And that's what I appreciate about Clubhouse in these, in these conversations, um, at least the ones that I've been on, they allow for the different perspectives to be heard without canceling them before you hear their perspective. So Adrian, with that though, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sienna. I just had a follow-up question for Adrian real quick. So you talked about Clubhouse, but what about on like Facebook or something where the comments are permanent and you don't have that like um, vocal conversation where you can hear tone and not, not that I'm not saying like tone police people, but you can hear if someone's genuinely like curious and trying to learn versus like when you read something on Facebook, it might come off. We might read it in a different um, context. Yeah, I mean, I think that just comes back down to like, we don't have important conversations via text, right? Um, but Facebook is a social media platform for these types of discussions, you know? Um, and one of the things that I do appreciate is in some of these Facebook groups, like white people doing better or um, 
recently in the mental health Facebook page that got um, archived for racist and microaggressions and prejudice. Um, but within the comment section, you saw the guy start off in one perspective, but saw how he gradually got to a different perspective by the end of the post, yet they still archived the group, which was not the right which group. group? The mental health, the big mental health and ABA practitioners space. Oh, I don't know if I'm in that one. Yeah. Um, it's archived now. So like they're not posting about it. But what ended up happening was um, one of the moderators um, removed a black woman from the group based off of something that happened in a totally different group that had nothing to do with this group. No. And he just so happened to be a white man. And so he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to kick this black woman out because of something that happened over here trying to cancel her again this is like a white man trying to cancel a black woman for something that happened in a totally different group without even realizing what he just did was a microaggression and racist as shit right but you saw that conversation and that gradual evolving through the comments so was him, was it him that was like changing and understanding what happened or was it somebody different somebody else him that was changing yeah perspective to really view like oh shit what did this actually look like a white man holding power over a black woman when she wasn't even coming at you and you were reacting to something that a white person did that was racist and you were trying to defend your racist ass white friend <laughs> like, you, you can't do that you know um but i think i think with Facebook, there's there's no win-win, but I think you still have to allow the dialogue because I think there is still power in seeing how someone comes to their different perspective to model for other people, right? And so for those who aren't there in their journey, right, they're still in their listening and learning and not in their abolitionist phase, um, they, can, they can see that as well gradually in those comments. Last thing, and then Tiana, I promise I'll stop asking you during questions. What do you do, though? Is there a shutdown point on that? So, like, if the, you're talking about the progression happening, right? So, like, you can see the person, like, taking the stuff in and actually reflecting and whatnot. But then what do you do when you get to that, like, person who's, you know, maybe it's a naive realism thing or whatever, but they're just like, I don't care. No, you're, you know, and they're, like, they make a comment that's, like, you know, racist or whatever, People try to educate them, they come back and there's more of like an argument, if you will. And they just keep kind of stating the same, um, maybe microaggressions or, or different types of dialogue that are clear that they, they don't care to learn. Um, how do, would you suggest, would, would that be a point where we would lean towards kind of canceling that person's ability to, to have that, hold that space and have that conversation or was it from like a modeling perspective could still be valuable for others to see? I think from a modeling, modeling perspective, it's still valuable. At the end of the day, people know that the internet is permanent a little bit, you know, a lot of it. And so to say something, you also have to be okay with the consequence. And that's what they were saying on Clubhouse yesterday is that cancel culture becomes an issue when you respond inappropriately. Right? Yeah, that's defensive response. Right. When you have that defensive response and when you know you're putting that on social media and what you're saying, sorry, it's permanent. We now have this, you know, command shift four option on the MacBooks screenshot ability oh i was like what is that 
you know um and like sorry you can't be mad that people hold you accountable off of your response when we were trying to educate you and on the flip side of that liberals or moderates or whoever can't be mad when a white person or somebody of color disagrees with you right you you can't be mad you tried you tried to educate but this is when cancel culture comes into into play is when you respond inappropriately. I still think those comments are important to model of what not to freaking do. Because I think everyone's modeling of what to do without seeing that that real life journey that happens. Like white people don't just get to, you know, go to a talk and then be like, oh yeah, I'm 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 I act in humility now. No, like Where's the reflection? Where's the deep dive? Where do you reflect on where does this evil and that poison show up for you in your life? And like, it, it, it doesn't just happen overnight. So you have to model that. All I was going to really get into saying is that um, I think more specifically with social media and um, Facebook and these professional organ like these professional Facebook groups or groups that have professionals in them need to also, I, I hate seeing when something is archived or when they delete a post or delete it or um, a, a comment of someone, because you are then also stating that what these more, um, the negative post or like the, the trying to figure out what's happening and trying to figure out the, um, in trying to educate others, like those in instances, when you delete those, you're saying that you don't want people learning. You don't want people to see um, how to grow and what should be done. But then, like Adrian said, you know, people screenshot quick. Like it is, it is unbelievable how quickly people's little fingers work to just grab something, but then take it to another group, because now. Your this information in this instance, this action is no longer just within your group. Now the bigger problem is is not only did it occur, but you also deleted it. So why did you delete it? What what made you uncomfortable about it that it just went bye bye? You know, um, and that's kind of where I too get frustrated. Is just that people aren't they're just consistently not comfortable with allowing these dialogues to happen if you see someone is not responding or not receptive to the information that is being provided it's still important as adrian stated to allow the information that others have to be there and to be present if that person continues continues to want to not be receptive i mean they're, hopefully people don't get disrespectful because in the ideal world we're professionals but also like it's a natural contingency that we're meeting because you're also dealing with people individuals like their identity at that point as well and their responsiveness we are we as humans are reactive individuals so sometimes you will get a tone but um keeping it still attitudinal but respectful to some degree I guess um if you, I think that if the person or individuals were to then turn and get personal, then maybe we need to talk about, okay, we're just going to pause the comments, but leave it here just so people can see um, this, this um, 
trans the transition of this was my first this was initially my thought process and this is where I'm getting now to the final product of it all I get tied on words I'm sorry guys <laughs> so fine um one of one of the things that I was thinking about when you both were talking that's happening in Clubhouse and on Facebook. Um, so to, sometimes when these conversations are playing out, there will be people that speak up and say the way that this dialogue is happening is harming me. Um, and it's not like I can't, it's hard for me to connect with that because I'm not part of any of the marginalized groups that are being affected by those dialogues. Um, so I was just curious if anyone has thoughts on if someone from or multiple people from a marginalized group are speaking up to say like the way this is going right now is I, I can't handle this. What, 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 what do we do there? Do we continue the conversation? Do we take it offline? Do we, um, do we say, sorry, go like leave this thread you person from a marginalized group. Like you're not like, do we cancel them? Like that doesn't seem appropriate. Um, so what are you, do you all have thoughts on that at all? I guess would it this is more of a question because I'm not really sure how I would how I would respond, but maybe stepping in to moderate it in a different direction so that it's coming back from a productive space and not something harmful. But I'm not sure if that would be enough for me if I addressed an issue on a person and said, I'm I'm really feeling harmed right now. Or this is I'm I'm taking this in a more um, emotional kind of way. I don't know how I would respond if someone said, "Okay, we will moderate it," but maybe a suggestion. I know um, Shannon Biaggi has gotten real good at this. <laughs> she handles the ABA Business Builders Facebook page and the ABA Marketplace Facebook page, and maybe even the big. Applied behavioral analysis. She's, she's not on that one. Okay. Um, but there was a recent post about how um, companies should respond to COVID vaccines and parents requesting that staff be vaccinated um, and, you know, personal health information and, and all of that. And she very much so in the beginning of the post was like, this is not to vaccine shame anyone. This is not to talk about the effectiveness of the vaccine or anything like that and put that as a disclaimer. And then um, the conversation wasn't even kind of going there, but she saw a little inklings of it going there and just did a nice reminder, like, hey, just a reminder if this gets into like talking about anything outside of how companies are responding to parents requesting vaccinated staff, you know, we're going to just lean this back this way, you know? Um, and I think for Facebook moderators on those posts that are a little bit more sensitive conversation, because um, we talk about cancel culture in relations to racial issues, but there's also like, you know, this whole vaccine and, you know, what that kind of looks like for different groups and different people. Um, and even the autistic perspective, we can talk about, you know, what the leaks were just kind of <laughs> doing about that. Um, but it's, unfortunately, I think moderators have to be on top of that from the beginning of the post to make sure to navigate it in the right direction um, or in an, in an appropriate, healthy direction. 
Um, but let's say, you know, if somebody's like, yeah, this is really harming me a little bit, just like we are holding the other side accountable, we also have to hold, you know, the accountability of marginalized groups of, um, we're, we're trying to have an open dialogue, you know, and we have to allow for some of these dialogues to happen. And there's also an individual choice to continue to follow a Facebook post or to step away. You know, and that's something that I've had to do, right? Uh, Megan, we've, we've talked about this. I just don't engage on Facebook anymore, ever. <laughs> that's a choice that you had to make for your own individual. You know, on a, a little bit of me agrees that people have individual choices. Now, there's boundary and there's gray area within that. I can't be having some people calling, you know, people the n-word all up and down the post and like yep we're still gonna have this <laughs> no but we have to hear them out on their perspective and there's an individual choice that you have to continue to follow a facebook post or to remove yourself from a facebook post when it's starting to harm you as long as the dialogue isn't getting you know super 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 inappropriate yeah. And I think that's the hard place. So I love what you talked about with Shannon having that um, comments for the vaccines, like having some sort of, I mean, some of the groups have their own expectations and whatnot anyway, but whether someone's moderating like in a clubhouse room or on Facebook, or even just a discussion like this that we're having, having your kind of ground rules of like, if you're choosing to engage in this post, they, these are the expectations. And then that makes it a little easier when people start to to go off if you give them a reminder and they continue to like not follow you can just be like you're that's it you're done and that to me isn't even a cancel culture thing that's just like you're not following the rules that we've laid out for this situation so you can't participate um but then there's always something gray that comes up that's like well this isn't quite violating what we said the rules are but it's also making some difficulties over here and then you know having to make that decision in the moment i think one of the things we all need to do, and I, I know I understand I saying this from a place of privilege, and I hope people will agree with me though still, um, is allow that grace and that that um, you know, humility to show for everyone, you know, because we're there's I just see this consistent thing happening in the Facebook groups, especially where there's these moderators and admin who are volunteering their time to help create these spaces, to try to have these tough conversations. And they're not always going to make the right decisions. And instead of people responding to that with like grace and humility and just like giving them that feedback, and they're not even defensive to the feedback, they're just taking it. But the way the feedback is delivered um, in the, the way they get people come after them sometimes over like minor, sometimes minor things, sometimes major things. But it's like, we're not, especially... Um, and I, I can say this because just, I just think it, like a lot of us are not, we don't have expertise in this. This is all new territory. So we're not always going to know what the best step is and how to balance, um, you know, creating that situation for everyone. So obviously when things aren't going well, it needs to be pointed out, but it doesn't need to be done in a way that's like uh, mean <laughs> and um, combative towards the folks who are volunteering their time to hold space for the conversations. Yeah. I know we're just talking and Joe's like real quiet since we kind of <laughs> Be before Joe, no, it's like I'm sorry I'm I no go ahead 
the only the one thing I do want to say is that even with the and just kind of encompassing Facebook and social media, the thing that I think is very important in people are kind of learning, although they probably should have already had a ideal, is that when you have your moderators, if you have, you need to be more inclusive with whom you're allowing to moderate. Because even as um, with our Biba, like our private um, Facebook group moderator, as a moderator, like we're screenshotting and having conversations about things before we make a decision on a post of something that has been, you know, that may be questionable. So if you're able to have your groups more inclusive, and you're actually encouraging that your moderators have a conversation, that there's some kind of group chat or something going on, then I think that these, the instances of a moderator making a decision and then getting backlash is going to be a lot less likely to happen. So then there's also just some responsibility within the group creator as well as to how are they allowing those who have control to police the Facebook group or their, the social media aspect. And that's what they were saying in the big um, ADA practitioners and mental health group is that, you know, these when these things happen on, on social media, on Facebook specifically, they're like, oh, okay, well, let's just add a moderator from the marginalized group to help assist us with this. And I think it was Kristen Lancaster said it um, in the in their Facebook post. And was like, you know, the solution is to not add somebody from the marginalized group to have this on your frontal. The solution is to have a white person who is doing this work, who understands some of this stuff to help the perspectives of the other moderators. Because what ended up happening was that those same moderators all agreed to cancel and remove this person and engage in that racist act because of the way it was brought to them. And Megan, I think you said it earlier of like, you know, they use their own experiences to defend their viewpoint. And so when this gets brought to them, it's going to be from the perspective of I'm a white man with privilege and I think this is wrong. And let me use the ethics code to show you why this is wrong and why we should remove this person, you know, um, but it, it is not on the marginalized groups to, to do that. We already got to get on here and, and talk about our experiences. And that always, I think Stephanie Bolden said it the best, you know, she does those difficult discussion um, article uh, reviews with you guys. And that's a lot of emotional labor. Like she's got to sit and relax for a good, like 24 hours after that because of of what it puts on them. So it's not the solution to just have somebody from the marginalized groups as the moderator. No, it's do the work yourselves as moderators and as white individuals who who um who strive off of privilege i think that's those are all wonderful points both adrian and tiana um there was one question that came through while we were talking about this so before we move on to something else i do want to bring it up so the question was just kind of sent to me. It wasn't on the Facebook live, but um, what about in the groups? Um, and Tiana, this may be, especially because you, you brought up the group that you moderate. And I know I had this issue when I was moderating as well. 
Um, we all do have lives and they don't revolve around Facebook typically. So um, at any given time, sometimes I would have been sleeping because <laughs> like I'm on the East Coast and people are on the West Coast. Um, folks might start having a conversation around a post that, you know, even if you're doing post approvals and whatnot, the post could have been there for days and been fine. And then all of a sudden somebody comes in with some wild comment and everything blows up and, and moderators get tagged super quickly. And there's, you know, no one around because they're sleeping or they're working or whatever. Um, and I often see this like lack of, you know, just the way the world is right now, this lack of patience where it's like, hey, I tagged you, drop all your things and get in here and situate this instead of taking personal responsibility for the fact that like you're choosing to engage in a group and have these conversations. Um, and yes, it's great if a moderator can help, especially if you've purposely approved a post and given those like guidelines and you're there and ready to like do it, but you're, you're not going to have someone there typically 24 seven. Um, so I don't know, it's kind of, for me, it's more of a, just a reminder about that grace and, um, you know, patience piece, but I didn't know if, if you all had experienced that at all with, um, the moderating you're doing and had any suggestions on what to do. Cause like, typically it's like a demand to cancel mine. The ones that I typically experienced were BCBAs demanding that autistic comments get canceled because they were saying ABA is harmful, right? And then I'd get text messages at all hours of the freaking day telling me that I'm a horrible behavior analyst because I let autistics say ABA is harmful and I'm destroying our field. Um, I'm pretty sure that's not the case, but you know, um, I'm not going to cancel people for sharing their perspective. Um, and I'm not going to drop everything to get in there and tell especially when I've stated it clearly <laughs> that that's not a thing I'm going to do. So like, it's not going to change just because you send me 50,000 text messages. Um, but have you all experienced that in the moderating that you're doing and like have any suggestions on how to deal? Like mine was just, I'm just not going to do this anymore. So, so we have for just for our group and that's, that is the only thing I can speak on. We have individuals that are literally across the all time zones. So when something happens, like we are more likely to be able to catch it um, and have some kind of response, like a quicker response time. Also, because of the group that we're dealing with, ours isn't, when we get to those sensitive topics, um, we're able to, our, our response time is just able to be quicker um, and having those conversations in a more um, effective and efficient way. When you're having large groups that have like thousands and thousands of members increasing your moderators, also stating, you know, um, occasionally just going through and stating what the rules are and what kind of posts are, are not allowed and just having those reminders available uh, because we all do have lives like that is a definite given but on the back end with saying we all do have lives you also have volunteered to you know be able to take some time out so if it's just once a day you know going through and making sure that there are no um there's no recent issues across the time if it's um with those those groups that have thousands and thousands of members if you have to create it like a schedule that works best for your moderators to be able to identify any issues and be able to resolve those quicker doing that may be helpful um but for me personally like I'll go through because we have to do Facebook approvals we have to do some Facebook um 
Facebook. So group approvals as long as well as like just um, posting approvals for certain things or just going through and taking a little bit of time and just skimming through. What is there anything that's raising a red flag? If not, then we're on about the rest of our day, you know, um, being able to just kind of put something that you volunteer to do as a priority in the part of your day. That's kind of how I deal with it. Essentially. Yeah. It seems like the the days are long gone where like, so when I started the Facebook group that I used to have, I started it just to share resources, right? Like it was, there was no plan to like have the need for anyone to moderate anything because what do you need to moderate when you're sharing webinar? <laughs> like that there are certain webinars happening. Um, but I think the days are long gone, regardless of the purpose of your group of having like a casual admin moderating situation. And I think that's going to be true on Clubhouse too, where when people start rooms, they need to make sure they're doing the work on the front end to like know how they're going to handle those types of like comments and stuff like that too. Um, so I know a lot of people that are, are continuing to run the Facebook groups are creating, it sounds like you all might have this too, like a schedule essentially for the volunteers um, so that there's always someone who's like responsible for checking stuff. Um, so anyway, Joe... We have just been talking here. Did yeah, you have no. thoughts you wanted to share? <laughs> it, like, I think like, that's why like one thing is like for me, like um, volunteering for being a moderator is not like on my radar just because uh, I don't have that time and I don't have the capacity to do that modern because it is overwhelming um and i feel like um it's a big responsibility and it's it's something like it, it's unfortunate but like with our group our groups on facebook to even have a conversation you need a uh, workforce to be able to handle situations like 24 7 and go um, being able to go back and forth yeah i have um uh, one other thing that came up with the ethics code uh adrian you mentioned so this was this was definitely part of what we had planned on talking about in part one <laughs> so um we brought you brought up the um the situation where uh, I think it was the mental health group that you were talking about, where um, not only did people take it from their own perspective, but then they used like the ethics code to justify that. So I'm curious for each of us to share in our own like training um, and coursework and like supervision, how the ethics code or just the way we're trained as behavior analysts sort of promotes a cancel culture type mindset of like, shutting down anything that's outside of our science. Um, so I don't know if somebody wants to talk about it first, but there is light at the end of the tunnel because things are changing, but we're still living with the current ethics code and the current training people are getting. So I thought it would be helpful to talk about that first and make sure we're all aware of like how our field sets us up for like a cancel culture mindset. Yeah, I can, I can touch on that first. Um, our field was not made to be fair by people who had intentions to be fair to all human beings. Our field was made by white rich men, like the weird, if anybody's seen 
um, the picture that uh, I think Shalal, I just had it, Patricia Wright has it, Tyra Sellers, Linda LeBlanc, and um, Dr. Nasia. Um, they show the picture of who our foundational fathers are in the field. And our foundational fathers were all rich white men, um, period. And so um, it was made from a foundation of privilege. And so I was taught to use the ethics code in always in ABA's favor, um, always in my favor. If there was a family that was not attending parent sessions, we use the ethics code as the reason why they should be discharged because you're not attending your meetings and things like that. And I've done this and I've done that. And like, you can't get your shit together. Um, I've had the ethics code be taught to me how to use it against a supervisee that can't fit within the schedule of the supervisor, right? Um, we've had talks of how do we now collaborate with in other disciplines and how the ethics code was used to say, no, I mean, if they're not gonna use database decisions, then they're trash. And that's the way I was taught. And I've been at BCBA for a little over two years. So these are current supervisors current supervisors still working with supervisees um, who are teaching uni in university classes of new BCBAs to use this. And we see all these webinars, talks about how ABA professionals need to collaborate with other disciplines, but why do you think we have those webinars? Because we, we were taught to do that in a trash ass way, you know? Um, and it's unfortunate because the people who are teaching in these universities, the people who are teaching these new behavior analysts, um, unfortunately, majority are white individuals who don't recognize their own privilege and don't recognize how they're using the ethics code as a weapon to the point where the BACB now has to put in specific social media claims, specific harassment claims, specific you know, cultural responsiveness and cultural humility because there are vast amounts of complaints coming through from our field. Um, and, I, and I think it's very unfortunate. And those are the same people that are not in these webinars also. Yep. How do we get them here? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Tiana and Joe? So I'm, I mean, Adrian and I, we went to the same university, <laughs> worked at the, did our, I did primarily all of my supervision at the same place that Adrian um, did hers at. So my viewpoint on this is pretty much the same as hers. Like it's, it's spot on, honestly. And to even answer that question is how do we get these individuals here is a difficult one because it's when you put the requirement that okay you need to get this so, so many ethics CEUs or so many ethics trainings people are doing them just to do them but not really taking in that information and so then it's like well what and that's where I just have the question is what else should happen in order to ensure like this information is being retained and actually utilized without making it even more tasking 
or aversive as a behavior analyst because we do have a great ton of things that we're we do in our day-to-day and although I am a firm believer in, in you should be experienced and understanding like within um cultural differences and cultural humility and just all of these different perspectives when you make the requirement more aversive or more tasking is just like I feel like it loses its meaning even then so you're just really doing what you need to do to get it done versus doing what you need to do because you need to do it because it is something that is important in order to make you more just make you better at your job um because I too like it was it has always up until I want to say maybe I was six seven months into being a BCBA where I was just like okay this code is not this is not it like this is I, I it's it's working for me but it's not really working for my client there are other pieces that need to be had and I say all the time you know I'll tell my students I'll tell my my therapist my like my RBTs like hey listen Make sure before you decide that ABA is what you want to do, you have a well-rounded experience with dealing with people, okay? Like, my work experience has always been around children and families, but it hasn't been strictly ABA. So being able to tie in and comprehend and and the, the, the aspects of, like, the family dynamic is just as important as understanding the function of behavior just as important as understanding, you know, can they pay for these things? Because the family dynamic and the things in those entities that make them, um, that are stressors for them are also going to be identified as to how effective is this therapy going to be with how we're doing it. So if we're sticking strictly to the code that was written in, in essence, by white like for for a from a white perspective then we're not we're we're doing more harm than we are good if we're not able to encompass everything that makes a person who they are right and i think just to speak to that tiana it comes down to the bacb's sme process it is not built to be equitable or inclusive like at all you know, um, and I think we spoke about this last time, but yeah. the SME process is, it's not built to be inclusive or equitable. You know, you have, people can apply all the time, right? And the SMEs are there to help build, you know, new ethics codes or just any project that the BACB is working on. They use subject matter experts to do that. Um, up until recently, I didn't, I didn't know the process for that. And I'm glad I do now because it is not equitable and it is not inclusive. And I expressed that too, I did, (laughs) um, to them. You know, if you are applying to be an SME in a state where there's a lot of behavior analysts, for example, so California, I'm just gonna use California as an example. Um, automatically you're most likely not going to get chosen because there's a lot of SMEs that apply from California and there's a lot of BCBAs from California or BCABAs or RBTs from California. So number one, they they knock you based off of your geographical location. 
So you're more likely to get chosen to be an SME if you're from like Alaska or Alabama because there's not as many certificates there. So they want to engage those certificates on those opportunities before they engage those from like California or Michigan, for example. So I applied to be an SME and I was told to apply, right? By people at the board. I applied. I didn't hear anything for months months and I followed up and I was like hey like I applied to be an SME kind of like what's going on and then I was told the process and I was like so you tell me to apply but I'm automatically off I'm out because I'm from Michigan and we have Western Michigan University here where everybody in their program applies to be an SME Mm. then they so they knock you based off of your geographical location it's a blind process which is good and bad in a way because then they're not seeing who's applying that actually comes from marginalized groups that we haven't been prioritizing in our field and that these exact things, the ethics code, the task list and all these projects are affecting in a negative way. And we have no process to make sure that we're having people identified from many diverse backgrounds. Then the people picking the SMEs are all white, right? Like. They're all white, some are women, some are men. And we think that diversity is is a gender thing. No, it's visible and and non-visible diversity as well. But they're likely gonna pick those people that they, you know, identify with. And it's not on the frontals of people's mind. We 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 know that even based off of this conversation, what we were talking with Joe about. It is not on the frontal if you're not constantly going through that. So you know, our field, we need to be looking at the systems. We, we look at the permanent product, but how did the permanent product get here, which is then the system, right? So it's not, oh yeah, we want CEUs. Okay, well, do we have subject matter experts that are co- consciously and on our frontal thinking about the fact that cultural responsiveness and cultural humility is a part of our practitioner experience? And we just said that on a call today with Joe. Oh, we're fo- I'm focused on the clinical aspect. Oh, okay. Well, that is a part of your clinical aspect. <laughs> Gianna just, just gave a great example of that. You need to know how to work with families. You need to know how to talk to people that come from different cultural backgrounds. And that very much so is a priority of you as a practitioner. But he, it's 2021, February 7th, and he even mm-hmm. made that mistake. You know, and he's he's on a podcast. He's he's, <laughs> yeah. he's listening to those. So imagine, oh yeah, well I want this, and everyone's talking about. No one is talking about the fact that the cultural responsiveness and cultural humility aspects added to the ethics code. When that new ethics code came out, everyone was just so happy that we were able to take gifts. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You saw it all over social media, like, ah, yeah, gifts, gifts, gifts. The big ABA Facebook page. And I'm like, gifts? Who gives a damn about gifts? Like, there's the harassment claim in there, the social media claim in there, the cultural humility and response. The removal of the stuff that I had to deal with, too. Most of the codes that I got submitted against me for not uh, deleting ABA's harmful comments don't exist anymore in the new code. 
But somebody was able to utilize that as a weapon against you because you were listening to autistic perspectives and they said that's unethical and you shouldn't have your certification, but they can get on social media and talk about cultural responsiveness has nothing to do with our community, but they still have certification. Yeah. Well, and, and of course, you know, my portrayal of it as that being the issue, it's not, maybe it's my naive realism, but that's how it came across to me that I wasn't deleting comments that said ABA is harmful. So that's apparently an ethics violation. Um, the, apparently it wasn't, that's not what was reported against me. I don't know when I read the thing, that's what it, that's what it comes off as. I'm not really sure. I think the, um, the point that that was trying to be made is that, um, the overall focus of the, the, the notification against me was that I allowed misinformation, even though I was not the one making the comments or whatever. But again, naive realism, how do we define misinformation? How do we define facts and accurate statements? Uh, like I gave plenty of support in my response as to how the information wasn't um, unfactual or whatever, yet the people still keep talking about uh, and hosting things to claim that it is. But anyway, that's a whole separate aside. Um, I love Adrian that you pointed that out about the gifts thing though. I was floored. Like what we have like new stuff in this new ethics code that should help address this cancel culture mindset and this shutdown. We're better than everyone else attitude that behavior analysts have. And everyone's focused on now that we can take 20 up to $25 in gifts. And you know, that's going to be a whole nother issue. Well, is it consecutively? Is that in a year? Like what's the time frame? <laughs> but still people yeah. are still going to talk about it, even though there's bigger issues to be discussing. I feel like you're dropping so much knowledge today, Adrian. You are fired up. <laughs> Joe, what are your thoughts? What, what do you have to say about it? about the ethics ethics code about it or all. about everything that adrian said like it's you're, you're, there's you're, just so much and like, i do and you're being really you're being really quiet and this is just the opportunity to hear the perspective from a white a white man and we yeah. don't get to hear that perspective a lot and so like i'm challenging you to to speak up a little bit more in this conversation um and whether that's you saying you're learning, whether that's saying you're reflecting, whether that's saying you disagree with us, you know, um, we don't get to hear your perspective. Uh, I think for me, like the biggest thing for me is like, I want to just listen and check in with myself, like where I'm at, um, where personally, and then being able to reflect on my practices and what I can do better to uh, learn more and what I need to change, and and how I can I be a better supervisor, better um, clinician, and really uh, think differently about what you're saying, because I, like, I am, a, have this privilege, and I don't get all the views. Um, like, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania that's predominantly white, so, like, I have like all this, like, and then I came to Virginia Beach and I was exposed to so much more, but I still have so much more to learn as well. I mean, and that's important. Like, I think um, just because I'm, I mean, I'm a white male, but that doesn't mean that I don't have to research or learn more about culture or responsibility or um, 
the issues that we have with um, at hand with even in our own community. And I think it's important as a white male or anyone to to have these conversations, even though they're uncomfortable, but just continue to be open to listen and respond and have those conversations. And I I really like the idea that um, just like if having that grace for being able to make mistakes, because you're not going to learn without making mistakes. And I think it's a great uh, learning opportunity and uh, ability to grow by engaging in conversation or learning or just listening. So like just during this whole podcast, I really love just being able to listen to all three perspectives and, um, and just seeing where um, we are at as a community in science is like, and then it, it's, it's fat. Like, I didn't know that, uh, to be a subject, like how disproportionate the subject matter, um, uh, how the BACB works. I don't know about subject matter, subject matter people that are making decisions for us. I didn't know all that. And that's something that's like eye opening is like, why not? Why don't we have more diversity? Why aren't we including more people? Um, cause it's not going to hurt anyone. It's going to actually make, it's going to help grow our field and make sure that more people feel included and, um, everyone's feels more respected. Um, and then we're able to service our clients and our families so much better. So I, I think it's perspective. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. From your perspective, after listening to the things that we've stated so far, what do you think as a white male would be able to help integrate and teach and uh, require, like those pieces that we've already stated are missing, at least from um, Adrian and I's like conversation with how we were supervised. What do you Mm -hmm. think would need to be brought forth to kind of help facilitate just more culture humility and just help facilitate these opportunities more. I almost feel like it needs to be built into the curriculum from the, from the start. Like if you're going to go through coursework, all these culture humility um, and just all these um, and just talking about diversity should be built into our curriculum. So then we had it from the get-go and this is the expectation in our field and set that precedence. I think that would help. But for the people that that spend in the field for a while, I think what's going to be beneficial is that it's a requirement um, that it's a requirement that you do um, that you do participate in um, not just ethics, but like even cultural, um, culture, uh, what do you want to say? Like almost make a different category that you have to attend and have like five um, CEUs about culture and make that a requirement. 
The IBAO mm-hmm. actually has that in their stuff. So that's one and step what forward. Is, what is the difference between the IBAO and the BACB is that the IBAO is made up of diverse individuals. You yep. know, that could that should have been something that came out, you know, with Tasslist 5. I know. The people, the subject matter experts that were in charge of Tasslist 5. Yeah. No, no, you know, and so, so my question for you, and I know we're talking, we're, you know, this is meant to talk about cancer yeah. culture and things like that. Um, so my question for you is what are the actionable steps that you're going to take outside of listening? We know you're listening. We know you're learning. We know you're taking it all in and, and things like that. So what are the actionable steps that you're going to do to get maybe those supervisors that aren't coming to these things or are using the ethics code as a weapon um, or are engaging in non-humility when it comes to responding to, you know, something that they may get canceled for or may not get canceled for. So what are the actionable steps that you're going to take to encourage those individuals um, or even yourse- yourself? Outside of- so, so, what I'm hearing is uh, you're asking what action steps am I going to take or to make sure that those people aren't being canceled who are making comments or is that the word? Yeah, like more so what are the, like in listening to this conversation, what are the actionable steps that you now are going to take based off of everything, you know, we've kind of talked about? I think one of the things is a. I'm going to. Ed- I would. I would hope that I would educate myself, and then also um, with any supervisees I have underneath me, also talk about this as well in our one-to-ones or one-to-meetings, and just have an honest conversation and um, and just to see where they're at and then maybe give them resources where we can both um, read up on or talk about to and have more of a conversation um, about, I think that's a good place to start. Then again, I mean, and I'm no subject matter expert at all. Yeah, I, am, I mean, I'm still at the beginnings of my journey, you can say. Yeah. And I think... I mean, I know personally, I have a long way to go because like I did, I do have that privilege and I do have that. I do have a different experience, but it's, but it's been very guarded. Like I'm not, uh, I'm, I mean, like I grew up, like I said, I mean, I grew up in a very predominantly white area where, and all through high school, I, we, it was all predominantly white. And I feel like we have a lot of room to grow and um, Judy, just even to educate ourselves and just make a, and make a habit to talk about these uncomfortable conversations with others. Yeah. And, so challenging you just a little bit further, the yeah. answer that you just gave was that I'm going to continue to listen and learn and I'm going to continue to charge my supervisees to listen and learn. But what we're saying is that 
what are the, the actionable steps? Because listening and learning is not taking action. Um, listening and learning is taking action in the right step, but isn't like, like going to change anything. So I challenge you, and if you, it's okay if you don't know that right now, you know, on this call. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I challenge, like listening and learning is very passive. You are still in a very passive phase. And even with mm-hmm. the answer of me challenging you, to, you, challenging you to not say listening and learning, you still said listening and learning um, and, and said, okay, I'm just going to charge my supervisees to continue to listen and learn and to educate. But we need to get past the education phase. We need to get past that, especially when it comes to the majority. If, if we want to see change, we cannot hold all of this weight. We cannot, you know. Yeah. Um, Shades of ADA is doing is doing a lot in this area. Baba is doing a lot in this area, but yet those who have the power are not keeping this on their frontal. So I challenge you to just think about the actionable steps that you're going to take to make sure this is on your frontal. And one of those things could be, you know, I'm going to assign Shades of ABA podcasts to all of my supervisees, and then we're going to discuss, and then I'm going to provide them resources, and then I'm going to have them give me examples of how you're going to incorporate this in your practice, and I'm going to hold them accountable to do that. So yes, that's listening and learning, but you're taking it two steps further into an actionable step that's actually going to make change, you know? Um, So not even, you know, this is this is the part of the cancel culture and the responding that we're talking about, you know, of mm-hmm. you're responding in humility and with humbleness and and also with fear that you're going to say the wrong thing because you are very specifically <laughs> like thinking about the words. You're like, all right, how am I going to say this? <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, you know, um, and this is, this is a very safe space for you. You know, we've, we've done podcasts together. Yeah. We've, you know, talked about this on the previous podcast and yeah. that. So I just, I just say all that to say, you know, you still responded in the listening and learning and not in the actionable step. And that's a great example to model for those watching on Facebook Live too. And what we were just talking about of do you allow that dialogue and how do you identify that journey, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So I, I love this and I, I love that you're comfortable with us challenging you a little <laughs> bit in this conversation. Um, and, but I, I, I want you to recognize that you just gave an answer still in the listening and learning phase. and you know we're we're way past yeah. especially you're way past that you know yeah. listen to podcasts you've been on these these podcast conversations yeah okay now what are you going to do about it you know i have a couple of questions too um coming like what i was coming up for me adrian i'm really enjoying this how this is modeling for hopefully the people listening as well to the podcast right now one of the things that was said and I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm curious about Joe's perspective on it. Um, his position of power, like we, we all know what that means, but I am curious, Joe, if you perceive yourself yeah. to be in a position of power, when Adrian says that, like what, what comes up for you? What thoughts do you have when you hear 
when you're told that, because I, I, I'm trying, not trying to say like, obviously as a white male, you have a position of power. And also I'm wondering as like a newer BCBA, who's also trying to figure out like how to properly supervise you met, you brought up the clinical skills earlier and things like that. Yeah. You perceive yourself as a person, like, do you, are you even at that level yet of recognizing that you are a person of power? But, and just say it, just say, it. you don't have to like sift through. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Yes, yes or no? Yes or no? Yes, yes or no. I perceive myself yes. as like, because I, I do have privileges, but yeah, no, I do. Okay. Cause I think it's pretty common and I was there too. And Adrian and I are going to yeah. talk about this more in our d- difficult discussion, um, our special edition that's happening in a few weeks, but I, I was there. I didn't, because I don't know enough about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And even though I've been doing a lot over the past year, and it's always been an area of, um, of value to me, like when I would learn about um, inequities and things like that, I was always so upset about it and wanted to see things change, but I never did anything, right? Like I tell people <laughs> that the inequities were there, but I never did anything about it, right? Because I did not recognize the power that I had and the privileges that I had. And I thought it was up to other people who knew more than I did, who um, were doing this work that, um, you know, like beautiful humans or uncomfortable ex and and Baba, obviously. So it was just like, uh, those people over there know what they're doing. So like, I'll just stay over here in my lane and like do my thing. So I get a sense from you that that's kind of where you are as well. And Adrian's trying to push you out of that and like get get moving um and i was super appreciate i i hope we can get to a day when that doesn't have to happen like i'm sitting here thinking about how this is a huge step that we're even talking to a white male about this and they're not being like super defensive and like argumentative with us the fact that we have to sell like i don't want to be able to like that should just be normal we should be able to have these conversations and like expect that the person will listen as humbly as you are especially because we didn't talk about like this (laughs) being the thing that was going to happen. So like, you know, your response is impressing me, but also like, I wish it was the norm. Um, so anyway, I just get that sense that you're like in this space where you're like, I can't quite do anything yet because I don't know enough about it, but that's just part of, you'll never know enough about it. You just, you just move and you are honest and open with your supervisees and with whoever, like you're, you're working with that, like, you're all learning and still learning and mistakes might will happen. It's not might they will. And when they do, we take those without being defensive and we reflect and we, we shift our behavior going forward. Um, so I guess I just wanted to throw that in there being like having been in your same place and still there quite a bit, like don't be afraid to take those steps forward. Like our field, especially needs you as a white male, even though you may not like recognize that, especially when you're surrounded, like technically you're the minority in terms of uh, like our field has so many women now, but when people don't see, like seriously, when we do our things, Vince LaMarca is the only white male that comes to them. And I've seen similar things with like stuff Baba's hosting. I don't even know sometimes if there's white males in there. (laughs) (laughs) So like we need you out there and like doing stuff. But they will, they'll promote it on social media but why are you not attending? There hasn't been a, like, I don't think any of the CEUs and Tiana, maybe you can speak to this. There hasn't been. 
And that's that's who we need to be getting in these conversations, you know, especially this cancel culture conversation, because people use it to their convenience. When it's convenient for you, you want to use it. When it's not convenient for you, you want to talk about how bad it is. And, oh, let me get on YouTube and I'm feeling bullied and I'm feeling attacked. Well, you know what? Sorry, I was about to say a really bad word. <laughs> you know what? Like, maybe you should just listen to the, the things that you said you were going to do and cancel culture is accountability. You're mad that we are holding you accountable now. Whereas 10 years ago, five years ago, shit, even a year ago, you weren't held accountable, but you could talk about that you were about this. But now, even in this conversation, Joe, I'm holding you accountable. And mm -hmm. you're working through the uncomfortability of people holding you accountable. And that's where it's not convenient for them anymore. Because now we're like, anybody using Dick Malott's book in their universities, you shouldn't be, period. Including the university that I work for. The same supervisor that I talk about all the time uses Dick Malott's book, but is very much so aware of the sexist, racist, prejudice every ism in the book <laughs> like you know um, and to be clear it's not just based on the calaba situation it's no. literally in the book everything yes everything. he is he's yeah no i had to read one thing from him when i was at ohio state and i was so disgusted i was like what why is this being assigned as something we're reading and it was assigned to me by a professor who he like talked about in there and like objectified and she thought it was an okay thing to assign. And I was like, what, where are we? And everyone was like, well, this was written back in the seventies. Things were different back then. And I was like, okay, so then why are we reading this? I have never read anything about like from him at all. So like, I had no idea like what he's like, what he has said or anything. So that I don't have any context, but I'm glad I haven't read anything from him. Yeah. It's often defended as being like gonzo type comedian, which I don't connect with. I have no idea what that is, but it's basically like it gets defended because it's so sarcastic and so humorous. It couldn't possibly be true. And it's like, you know, but it's still, it's still racist. It's still sexist. It's still prejudiced. And even if he doesn't actually believe it, there are people who will read it and, and, and believe it. And how do you separate the two? How do you really know? How do you, how do you like, it could be a defense, like, um, you know, whatever thoughts he has about things. I'm not speaking for that, but it's like when people talk like that, like, you know, like Howard Stern and different people that say such just outrageous things. It's like, you're telling me that th these thoughts don't actually exist in their head. Come on. Anyway, <laughs> that's a, a whole soapbox for me. <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, like, I love this conversation because, and I really appreciate all your perspectives because this is going to help me out personally because I am in the process of um, taking foster care classes and I'm hoping to foster adopt um, and there's definitely a chance that you know I might not have a child and I'm going to consider them my child but they're not going to look like me either and that's important to look know like where um, where our culture is and know um, what steps I need to take so then I can better serve my child. Yeah, yeah, 
<laughs> very much so don't have the privilege to stay in the listening and learning phase anymore. Yeah. Because <laughs> if you're going to have a, a child who may, right, like who may identify as white, who may not, and a very high chance that they will mm. not, you can't stay in the listening and learning phase any longer. Yeah. Joe, I'm sorry. And and that's what people talk about when we talk about any, I mean, and this goes for anybody. It's not just white people getting black kids or white people getting Asian babies or anything like that. It's also, I follow a couple um, Instagrams where a black mom has a white kid as a child, mm-hmm. you know, um, or, and a black mom has an Asian baby as a child. Mm-hmm. You have to learn whatever culture that is or learn how to respond with cultural responsiveness immediately, immediately. Do not stay in this listening and learning phase if you're going to take on a foster kid. Mm-hmm. That comes with a lot of freaking complexities and you and your wife and your kids better understand what, what that privilege is and how privilege shows up every day for you guys, Here, even your kids. There is no longer, and your your wife. I I think that's my biggest concern when families get kids of different backgrounds than them is that they don't do this work in actionable Mm. steps and therefore don't prepare that kid. You know what I mean? If you get a black kid, I'm sorry, Joe, you now have to worry about if they're going to come home at night. And that's a real thing. It's a real thing. And I really want you to take that seriously. Cause you can't, if that's what you're doing and if you're taking foster classes and, and I want to be a foster parent, you know, um, mm-hmm. I also recognize that even the, yeah, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I, no, I, I, like, like, that, even but, our foster care classes, like it's six weeks, it's intensive, but I also feel like it probably would be beneficial if they have more of this uh more of these conversations and then them uh us learning more and actually have like lessons on i think there's only one lesson we have about culture relations and uh culture um working with um kids who have a different i mean like just different rate like they're um i mean just like culture humility i think we only have one class and that's a three-hour class and I think that's not enough. No, <laughs> more than <laughs> more than most parents would get, though. So I guess there's that at least. But yeah, I'm sure there's lots of resources out there, though, for like fostering yeah. um, that exist, and hopefully that can be some actionable steps as well. And I know in the white people doing something group, this comes up a ton where there's people who were um, foster children, or they come just from like mixed race families. And the families didn't do enough to prepare, like Adrian was saying, the child. So they never felt like they fit in anywhere because they they weren't, um, you know, the way that they were being raised at home. Maybe if they had white parents and they, they were black, they weren't black enough to, to hang out with the black kids. And then if, um, and the, but they weren't white enough to hang out with the white kids and they just never felt like they fit anywhere. Um, so that's a real, you know, thing that a lot of adults and that white people doing something group talk about all the time. Um, and I don't know the answer. I haven't had to deal with that, but I think at least being intentional, there's so many families that created out of their own, um, their own selfishness, if you will, like didn't even cross their minds to think about 
anything around culture for their children and how to, to prepare for that. Well, we have just gone in a lot of different directions. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it has been two hours and I know yeah. you all probably have lots to do today. Like, um, Joe's going to hop in some clubhouse rooms, maybe. Yeah. Uh, while we were talking, Rose actually sent one. I don't know if it's still happening, but it's on white fragility and talking about race. So that might, we'll try to ping you into that um, if people are here. And Lizzie made a comment too that I just wanted to share. She said she recently heard, you don't have to know everything to step into the ring. And then that really resonated with her because she used to be passive and felt like she had to know everything before speaking up. And I think that's an issue probably for a lot of behavior analysts. We're used to being like the experts on things. Um, but that doesn't mean, especially when it comes to these types of issues, like speaking up is going to be necessary. And you just, again, we've said this before, but you just have to be uncomfortable. <laughs> it's not ever yeah. going to feel comfortable. You're always going to feel like you're saying the wrong thing. And then you just put it out there with as much intention um, as you can. And then you take the feedback and shift for the next time if needed. All right. Closing thoughts, each of us, I kind of just said mine, I guess, but Tiana, Adrian, closing thoughts. I just really enjoyed this conversation and I appreciate you, Joe, for being able to be our, our token white guy for this conversation essentially, <laughs> but also knowing that, um, more likely than not you your your desire your initial desire to want to sit back and learn and kind of absorb information is more likely how others are perceiving they need to handle things and just knowing no it's time for those actionable steps it's time to you know actually outline some things that you're going to do um and knowing that it's going to be uncomfortable with doing so and so just thanks for that. And I hope everyone that is listening and watching is able to do some self-reflection and knowing what they need to do in order to be more, um, to have more permanent product in place rather than just listening and learning and just maybe talk about it kind of. Yeah, I think for me, um, getting back to the subject of, of cancel culture, is as much as possible on both sides of the fence, let's encourage hearing and having a dialogue and not allowing cancel culture to cancel the dialogue um, and understand what cancel culture actually is. You know, it's not just the first initial action that someone's like, hey, I don't agree with this. So now I'm going to cancel you. Boom. You know, no, it's based off of the response that you are giving. And do you need to be canceled off based off of your response? Um, and understanding that difference, that that's not what is, is going on. It's based off of the response, but on both sides of, the, sides of the fence to keep encouraging that dialogue and to not cancel that. Yes, I love I, it. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah. No, I was just saying, like, I, I mean, like this, this uh this podcast is just like episode is amazing like i really appreciate like all the feedback that uh, everyone has given, been giving me um and just being able to have this open dialogue and conversation um and i hope that we use this to add that this could be a model to for like 
just even for white males, just to how they can, how they can engage in conversation and be uncomfortable, but understand like how they should react to um, getting feedback as well. And that they have a well, we have a lot to learn and grow, and that we need to not just learn and listen, but also to take actionable steps by attending or um, speaking out um, against, or just speaking out about the difference in um, just the, the, about, I mean, the difference in diverse, uh, I mean, culture and how we can do better and how, how we can take this information and not just cancel people just because you said something like just because we said something wrong or it didn't sound quite right, but canceling people who are making, who are making responding to, I mean, canceling people who are saying derogatory, derogative response from your comments. That should not be okay at all and that's where i hope that we can get to as a in society where we can continue to have these conversations and if someone's going to give you feedback is your response be come from compassion and humility that's a such a great sum summary um so just to recap initial responses to interacting with people were compassionate and humble and curious and then based on how that person responds to it is kind of where we go with that next step. Does it need, are they showing that they're just going to dig in and continue acting in ways that could be harmful and dangerous um, to the marginalized groups? Um, and at that point, I don't know. I don't know that we'd always say cancel, 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 but your response is definitely going to be a lot different than if they show mm -hmm. um, that they are, you know, going to change and that they took something from that feedback. So um, we had a, a few other comments on the Facebook live, so definitely check those out. Uh, we just had such a good conversation going. It was hard to like go back and forth between the two. So I appreciate, um, Adrian and Tiana that you joined us for part two. Maybe we can have a part three, um, on shades and we can check in on like what action items Joe and I have taken. I did put in the chat, uh, the link to the next, um, Baba event with Dr. Nasaya. Uh, if that is to me, you gave the actionable item of assigning shades of ABA, but I think obviously attending the incredible Baba events and anything else, you know, that's being done on diversity, equity, and inclusion in our field, we were talking about how there's not enough, especially white males there. <laughs> so not only, <laughs> not only should you go Joe, but if you have any uh, white yeah. male behavior analyst friends, get them to come too, because that's one observation I've made. And I just can't get over like, where are you all? And I don't Vince understand. Doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, Vince, Vince doesn't, doesn't count. count. And if he, he apparently doesn't have any friends to invite. So developing friendships, right? but just to clarify, it's Nasia Megan. Oh, sorry, Nasia. Yeah. Thanks for thank you. Um, I've been saying it wrong this whole time. Oh, Nasia. Okay, thank you. All right. So we will close out for today. Um, we hope everyone that listens to the podcast will go forth and do better and start taking some action steps or keep taking action if you have been.
thank you for listening to today's episode. Go forth on your quest and do better.